This is Rabbi Marcus Rubenstein with the Daily Life of a Jewish Mystic. We're going to continue our learning in Reishikoch Mashar Yirah, really go into the body of Shar Hayirah, the gate of fear and awe. And uh, of course, this Sefer continues, the book continues in a very um, organized manner in which it really breaks down the attribute of studies and then starts to talk about all the different ways to acquire that attribute and why it's important to acquire that attribute and it really goes and becomes very practical. But first, it has to establish a true definition of like what is this thing called awe or year ah that we're, we're, we're talking so much about. Like what what are we talking about here? And so it defines it in this chapter I think pretty well. And I think the definition is a bit surprising to those um, maybe who have not been initiated in this in, in Jewish mysticism and have not seen uh, have seen this before, but it's it's pretty amazing to see it in such an ancient text. I mean, Rashid Chochma was written in the 16th century. It's not it's not it's a new new age new book, um, but it's written in the 16th century, and uh, so this is the real stuff. Uh, he was learning this directly from his master, Rabbi Moshe Cordovero, who is one of the greatest Kabbalistic masters of all time, uh, and so we know that this is really the authentic Masora, the authentic tradition, or an authentic tradition. I should say, uh, that I think for me has been very, uh, uh, life uh, makes life better uh, and really makes sense to me in terms of like what is what is modern religion and what's modern spirituality in terms of what does it have to do with God and, and, and what does what is religion not, you know, trying not, not centering around as much? What's the focus here? And after that, after we learn what this definition is, we'll actually better understand, you know, what is, why Yira is such an important element and why it's called the gate in which all must enter into service of God. So the Reishi Chochma and says, Rishonat Srichin Anulava Er Mahuta Yirav, Achar Kachat Rimsh Ayidehem Yikne Adam Yira Balibo. Right, first, a person needs to understand the essence of what awe is, and afterwards, one can explain. Um, by way of this, how to acquire this attribute, right? So first we're going to give a definition, and then and then in subsequent chapters he's going to talk about ways in which we can acquire awe. Hayira, and Hayira, so I'm just going to start saying Yira, because you'll see through this, this Shior that Yira is very hard to translate into English. I keep saying awe slash fear, and that doesn't sound too good. So we're going to just say Yir'ah, and you're going to learn a new Hebrew word, or learn a Hebrew word that you already know, Yir'ah, or which means awe or fear of God, and we're going to come to define it today. Shaleha nitztavu batorah kama pa'amim. This is explained in Torah many times. You know, there's many mitzvot that command Yir'ah, right? They command this attribute. V'atai Yisrael ma'ashem elokech el mimcha mimach ki im liyirat Hashem elokecha. Now, O Israel, what? Oh, what does the God your Lord ask of you from your Pete from you but to fear him to be in your ah of the Lord your God in the usual translation I can actually probably bring up the King James translation the wonders of the internet right now um, I'll bring up the, the the King James translation for you just so you can see it um, here we go so I'm getting up different translations of the Bible so like you know, if you're just looking around, like the New International Version, now Israel, what does the Lord your God ask you but to fear the Lord your God, right? Um, let's see, a different version. Um, let's see what King James has to say here, right? 
the King James version of this, just so we can. This is important, so we gain, we understand what this verse. What we're, what we all, a lot of us live in American society here, and in a Christian society, so I always understand it from that context. The Old King James translation. And now, Israel, what doth thy Lord, thy God, require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God? Right? So both in the new, the NRSV, the NIV, New Revised Standard Version, the New International Version, and the King James Version, all these different, the, some of the most commonly used Christian versions of the Bible, Christian translations, um, really are, always translate this word, word, is, this word as fear. Um, which is very interesting. I would be very interested in seeing what other um, Bibles, the, some of the newer uh, Bibles that are now coming out now, how they translate this verb. So I, I would not translate this as fear. I don't know exactly what I would translate this as, but certainly not just fear. I don't think this really uh, gets along with it. But I think because of that, we get, we tend to think that this is very Old Testamenty. that this is what the Bible talks about, that we need to be afraid of God and we need to, uh, you know, kind of really be, af- you know, that we need to be afraid of God punishing us all the time. And that's that's really what religion is about, is, is constantly the fear of being uh, smacked around or something like that by some divine being, by some lightning strike coming down. And, and that's kind of what this seems to make us think, which means that God is some kind of divine bully or something like that. And, and that religion, I don't think, works for most modern people. And I think it's slightly probably unhealthy. Um, to constantly just walk around thinking you're going to be slapped all the time. Uh, it's, it's I don't know if that's necessarily the religion we should be striving for. Um, although I will argue that there is an element of it within this. But let's go on. Let's look further into it. And the Lord your God you will be in Yirah of, that you should be Yirah towards this God. Right? It's another verse. That first verse was in Deuteronomy 10.12. This verse is... 6, Deuteronomy 6, 12, 10, 20, it's all over the place. Kamohu Rabim, right? It's, it's, it's appearing everywhere. So the first mitzvah always is that to know that there is one God that creates the world, right? And always bore is always written present tense. We always think it's going to be bara, which would be past tense, but it's always written present tense because God, of course, is always creating the world at all times, right? It's not something that happened back then one time, but it's actually at every moment God is constantly creating the world. And that's something that we can actually think of. That's one of the mystical uh, meditations in Kabbalah, again, to constantly understand that God just created the world. God just created the world. God just created the world. Like literally every second, God is constantly saying yes to the world being created. Uh, So that is pretty unbelievable. And literally God is creating the world at every moment. So first, after we come to this realization, and he also create, created all, everything that exists in the world, and not only that, but he directs them according to his will, reading that the, that, that the world goes according to God's will. Now, now, how closely everything works according to God's will, can God change at any instant, and change, does, does God change at every instant? That's a whole different discussion, right? But re- regardless... Whether very distant or very imminent, at least at this point, God is. We need to act, come under the assumption that God is directing the world. That the, the world is not only that God created it and then stepped back or creates it at every moment, but rather that God creates it and and by creating it at every moment, then therefore directs it at every moment. That God is constantly directing uh, creation forward and and what we see around us and what exists around us. Obilat and important, most importantly of all. 
right? Without God's abundant energy. Remember that the Kabbalistic system has pictures God as like this gigantic energy, this gigantic power plant that is constantly um, shooting energy into the world, right? God does, Kabbalah does not like to think of God, especially Zoharic and especially Lurianic Kabbalah. Oh man, oh man for real. It, it really thinks what's wonderful and what really opened me up to learning um, Jewish mysticism myself is that it tends to think God, less of God, as, as that there's elements of God that's personal in the way we refer to it, and that's something we might call the Shekhinah, um, or the way that sometimes God is shown in the Bible, right? So there's elements that's kind of like a side of God's personality, but the, like the real essential side of God's personality is more like an energy, more like an energy that throw that 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 you know goes that is uh, connected to every within everything in existence, and and for me that's sometimes easier. That, it, that God is the energy that flows throughout all of existence and that constantly is directing all existence forward, it helps me not to think of a form. All right? and, and of course, that energy can hear our prayers and, and, and can be uh, in relation, we can be in relationship with that energy, but it's not a person or it's not you know, some divine human being or something like that. Um, and so this is an important word, that without God's shif'o, without God's divine effulgence or divine abundance, shefa is a very... Um, popular Kabbalistic word that's used a lot, divine abundance or divine energy, right? Without God giving God's energy, pouring God's energy into the world, you know, everything would 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 turn off and everything would go away. I always talk about this in terms of electric, right? You disconnect the light bulb from the light and you pull the plug, bam, no light, right? There's no more light. Um, but, uh, and even if the light could be the most expensive lamp in the whole entire world, it could be the most beautiful lamp, it could be the most beautiful chandelier, it could be state-of-the-art technology. But, right, if we disconnect the plug from the wall, no more, no more light, no more light. And it's the same thing with God. At any moment, there could be a disconnection in that regard. And so the fact that God constantly keeps connected to this world, and constantly recreates the world at every moment, means that, you know, God has extraordinary power. Commotion in our... You, as Nehemiah says in Nehemiah 9.6, you, God, constantly vigorate the world. You constantly bring life into the world. You are constantly bringing energy, bringing life into the world at every moment. And if, and if God disconnected himself or itself from the world for even one moment, and it would be like the world never was in the first place. And that's what we understand. We think if God disconnected from the world, everything would just like turn black, like the lights would turn off. But it's like, no. It's like literally like it would be zero with a dash through it. We could not understand. Um, we could not even, we can't picture non-reality, right? So that's what it would be. Undefined. So he continues on, he says, since that is the case, that everybody that everyone needs God. Why is it? Because everyone wants to stay alive. Everyone wants this world to continue, right? So everyone therefore needs God to stay connected to the Lord. For who and and really importantly, throughout all of Kabbalah, God doesn't need man. God might want man. God might desire man. God might will man and want man to be in this world. But God does not need man. Very important, right? God is self. 
efficient. He can survive, or she can survive, without um, the help of man. Right now, to be fully realized in this world is a different story. You know, to 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 have God's full desire that that might be a different uh, different thing. Then then God needs man. Um, but you know, in order to exist, certainly that man doesn't need God. I mean, sorry, God doesn't need man. All right. So, because this is the case, Chayav liro mimenu v'lekabel alav ol Torah v'al mitzvah. We need to be in yirah of God, meaning we need to accept the yoke of Torah and the yoke of mitzvot. We need to accept the yoke of learning Torah and doing Torah, and specifically, therefore, accepting the yoke of doing the mitzvot. That that really, for a Jew, doing Torah and mitzvot is is a yoke. It's something that we wear upon ourselves. It's not always the easiest. It's not always a delight. Right, as much as people tell you, it's just a, always a wonderful, and it is a lot of the time. It's just a wonderful simcha. It's a wonderful joy, but there are times when it is a yoke as well, uh, and it's times that it's work. It's not always easy, um, and that's why we call it a yoke here. It's something we accept upon ourselves, and we accept it very completely upon ourselves in that way. We do that because of the, our primarily because our year of God. And what is it going to be? Our yirah is going to be the feelings that we have because of those past things that I just mentioned. We're going to get more into what that means in a second. He writes, Right? Like a servant who knows that there is that he has a Lord and someone who gives him what he needs and someone who he serves. Right? And if he doesn't know who he serves, how is he going to direct, where, how does he know where to direct his service and what to do? Famously in Devarayamim 28.9 in Chronicles, it says, Know the Lord your God. And therefore it becomes at least a, a rabbinic mitzvah, because this is of course not in the Torah, that, that we must know the Lord your God, that you are commanded um, but we are also, of course, commanded this in the Torah as well. Vayadata yom at the Shem el he says all the time, Vehashevota el lavavecha, you should know the Lord your God, you should return it in your heart, um, that God is one. But specifically, I think that the Chronicles commandment here is a little different because it's specifically demanding knowledge of God, right? Which is an interesting thing, like what can we really know of God? And so here, Therefore, we're commanded to know God. Why? Because we're, in order to, to, for a servant to serve a master, the master has to know the servant and has to know what to do. So Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai in the Zohar explains what awe is in the Zohar. And I love it. The Zohar defines it. So first it says, Yira is the essence. It's the Ikar or Ikara in Aramaic. It's the essence this is the standard definition. To be in fear or awe, midchal or dachil is literally the Aramaic for yirah. So again, we learn it. We're into the same translation problem again with dachil, right? Or midchal in Aramaic. To be in awe or fear or to be yirah. For a human being to be in year of the of their master, because why? Because that master is big and sovereign. Rav v'shalit, ikra v'shorsha olmim. That God is the essence and the root of all worlds. Remember in Kabbalah, the Kabbalistic understanding, there are many, 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 many worlds. You know, similar to the 
uh, Marvel Universe. Like, there are many, many worlds. Um, but uh, worlds are seen very different uh, in, in, in Kabbalah. I think certainly than, you know, the Marvel or the DC Universe where there's, you know, a billion different worlds. Um, but rather it's, you know, physical, the world of the physical, the world of the spiritual, the world of the spirit, all on top of each other. Uh, and, and the world of godliness. We live on the physical world, but we're also... I think subconsciously also taking part in the spiritual worlds as well, which is what the Kabbalists are getting at. And then God creates all these worlds. There's no worlds that are above God, that God creates all these worlds. And God is the root. That specifically, all these roots come out of God, right? That that, that these worlds are literally revelations of godliness, right? So that, that not even that God creates these worlds and con- even constantly creates them, but God is the root of these worlds, that God is clothed, through these worlds, that the main purpose of these worlds is to reveal godliness, right? Is to reveal God's self. And that God is completely in control of these worlds. Very, very famous, famous um, verse from the from the, the Zohar here. It's repeated over and over again in, in Hasidic literature. Oh my God, you see it so much. And it, the idea is that everything is like is not important compared to God, right? Everything is compared is like is like nothing before God. Everything, absolutely everything. And this is something a very good intention to think about when we say the Shema. This is actually the intention of the Alter Rebbe. Mentioned uh, mentions in Shari Yichud Vemunah, the second part of the Tanya. Um, uh, and but I, and I actually use this. I'm not I'm not a Chabad Chassid, uh, but I and I do use this um, intention in my Shema. When I say Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Achad, the first verse of the Declaration of Faith, we say it twice a day. I try to think in my mind that that you know nothing is real except God, right? Everything is is kind of a lavush. Everything is comes from God, and 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 everything is a vessel outside of God. But it's all dressing the only true core, which is God. So everything I see around me, the way my face looks, the way my hands look, the way the wall looks, the way people are, and everything like that, is all not not actually real. The only true existence is God, and all those things are ways of revealing God in the world. So like when I say Shema, it's like everything blasts away in the world when I close my eyes and say Shema Yisrael Hashem Lokein Hashem Echad, and all there is is God, right? Baruch Shem Kavod, on the other hand, brings everything back into the world and says that, that God can only appear and be revealed through these things these physical things. So it makes them important again. But the, at least for the first part, part of the Shema, it's exa- it comes exactly from this line. That like there's nothing really but God. Uh, and which is which is or nothing is considered even important um, besides this. And I and I love this. This last part is so important. Um, and he writes, that one should place one's ratso, one's will, Bahahu Atar on that place that is called Yirah. Right, and one should specifically place that, 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 the feeling one gets from that, and then the way one relates to God with those thoughts on one's ratzon, on one's will in this world, what one wills to do. What Rabbi Nachman says all the time, Rabbi Nachman is very famous for saying this over and over again. The most important thing in a person is ratzon. The most perfect thing, important thing in the world that for a human being is like, what is your ratzon? What is your will? And and what are you? What's your grand will in which you're willing into the world? Right. Every moment we have a will. You know, when I'm at work, I'm my my will is to make the synagogue a better place, or my will is to to help heal someone at this moment, or whatever I'm doing as as a rabbi in that moment, or my will is to give over words of Torah. Uh, 
we have a million different wills all the time, but but to place that will into a context of you know really w- w- all that there is is God, and that everything that we see in our world is an illumination of godliness, right? That it's it's an illumination of godliness with a shell around it that allows it to be seen and revealed, and to not pay attention to the shell, but to pay attention to the godliness behind it. Why? Because God is the only thing that's truly powerful in this world, right? God is truly the only thing that's shalit. That's, that, that rules, and, and God is the only is bigger than anything else in the world, and God is what is behind everything, and God can constantly is constantly recreating creation, and so therefore, what really matters, and what one should really have one's mind is everything should be filtered through everything in one's life should be filtered through the idea if this was true, right? If we took this as true, which which I believe it is, of course, therefore that everything is filtered through that fill that through that reality, and the avoda. The work of a Jew is to filter one's one's life and decisions and one's ratzon, one's will, through the filter of Yira, through the filter of that, like, there's this God that's, like, super powerful and, and more powerful than anything else in the world that overrides all things, that's constantly recreating creation every moment. That's the only true existence in the world, right? So that, therefore, um, we live very different lives, if that be the case. We would do make very different choices if we truly live now no of course does anyone really live with this understanding every single moment of their life maybe there are a couple of great sadikim or righteous people who do this but but for very few people this is an every second reality in that one is but but that's what the the reishi chokma rabbi eliyahu davidus is suggesting the challenge comes in like really making this a part of your life at every moment which of course the Rishi chokma will discuss how what tools we use to get there but first we have to define so again now you probably understand why I use, I call call yira, awe or fear, right? What's truly powerful, what's truly immense and in control of everything, when I'm near it, I'm not necessarily afraid, right? Like being near it or being in a relationship with it doesn't necessarily make me afraid. Unless I've done something really wrong, then I become afraid, and then maybe I'll become afraid and I'll get punished. Maybe, that, that is a part of it, right? But the primary relationship is not a relationship of guilt. The primary relationship is a relationship of awe, Right of wonder, as 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 Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel said, that the essence is 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 the is that one should be in awe of God, just as one is in awe of the Niagara Falls or of the forest or the mountain or seeing Everest or something or the Grand Canyon. One is at awe of its greatness and its bigness, right? And all the more so if those natural things in which God created so to, or creates at every moment, as we spoke about, so to God, who is you know the root of all life and the root of all these things. So too, so much more. We're always standing in the presence of God, so therefore we should always have awe, right? And have this wonder about the world around us and, and therefore be careful in the way we walk in life. Not be careful in that I'm afraid I'm going to be slapped at any moment or a lightning bolt's going to come down, that God's going to get angry at me. But like I'm, I'm constantly walking in this presence of something with, with the most power, power in the world. I'm constantly walking in the presence of, you know, the energy of, all, of the whole entire universe, um, and to be near that thing and to be in relationship with that thing as a Jewish person is like, should create a sense of mindfulness and a sense of awe. And of course, a slight sense of fear that I'm not going to screw up around this thing, right? I don't want to be distant from this thing. I don't want to upset this thing. So therefore, I am a, there is a little bit of fear, as I said before, that I'm going to screw this up, right? And I'm going to not do well. But we do need a little bit of fear. Fear is in, in a little bit, fear in a... A not all-consuming thing, a way of being, is actually a good, right? That's why humans feel fear. We feel fear to protect us, 
right? And to guide us along the wrong good path. Now, but when fear becomes all we're about and becomes the essence of everything, then it's paralyzing. We don't want that either. Uh, so, and that is what the Reishi is defining your eyes. And that's why I'll continue to say, you know, awe or fear. I'll mostly try to use the word your ah, but again, I, I don't want to leave anyone out who doesn't know what this Hebrew word means, but now you can understand that it's it's complicated. Again, yira, the emotion of yira is the emotional component that comes from the from the fact that God creates all the worlds at all moments, that God rules over everything, that God is the, the, the biggest, most important thing, that everything is like nothing before him, that if God disconnected from the world, it would constantly fade out of existence, it would become undefined. And so therefore, the human response to that is called yira, right? Is That's what that is. So we're going to say awe, fear. If anyone has a better word or a better translation for yira, please send it over. I will love it. If you, if you can come up with a better definition of yira, um, please tell me because, man, I hate saying awe slash fear. But I'm going to, to be clear, I'll, be, I'll, I'll say whatever I'm going to say. So Anyway, I hope you enjoy this. Uh, we're going to do one more sheet or for the week, um, and that is going to be uh, Shara Ahava on Friday. Again, we're going to learn a little bit of love, a little bit lo- more about loving God before Shabbos begins. Um, so please join me then. And uh, also feel free, I wrote a blog post on some of the meanings of God's name. Uh, according to Kabbalah, according to peace, I, I read in Tikkune Azohar, um, an interpretation of a section of the Zohar, please feel free to read it. Um, it's been posted, I think, in, in the Facebook group, Daily Life of Jewish Mystic. Otherwise, uh, I'll talk to you soon. Always lovely learning with you. Bye now.